0: Hello, everyone. This is Ken Feudernick. I want to welcome you to another episode of Teacher Stories. My guest today is Lisa Godwin. Lisa is going to share a very personal story that began early in her life. It's a story she kept secret until very recently, and and soon you'll find out why. I'm going to ask her to reflect on the lessons she's learned from her experiences uh, as an educator now, and really to Uh, talk about how those lessons might apply to educators and parents, especially now in the midst of uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. Lisa, welcome to Teacher Stories.
1: Thank you, Ken. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Lisa, first tell us uh, what you do now um, and where you live.
1: Well, I'm actually entering into my 23rd year uh, in education. Um, I currently live uh, in, uh, well, actually in Pender County, but I teach in Onslow County, North Carolina. Um, I'm a t- kindergarten teacher, but I have taught many different grade levels, and I even uh, have gone into administration for a five-year period of time. But got homesick for the classroom. And so I decided to go back uh, and have um, have loved every minute of it and um, have, have just, you know, realized that teaching is truly my mission and it's my passion.
0: And and you're too humble to say this on your own, but I'm going to ask you about it. I recall reading that, or maybe when we spoke earlier, that you were a Teacher of the Year in North Carolina fairly recently?
1: Yes, I I had the, the honor and the privilege of being named uh, North Carolina's Teacher of the Year in 2017, uh, which was just a tremendous and humbling experience because I know that I'm not the best teacher in North Carolina, but for whatever reason, they thought that I had a voice that needed to be heard at that particular time, and they trusted me to be an advocate for teachers and, and students that year. And so um, I had the, the opportunity to actually take a sabbatical for that year. Um, so I was not in the classroom teaching and traveled the state of North Carolina meeting teachers, meeting um, educators uh, that had different roles school social workers, psychologists, um, cafeteria workers, bus drivers. Uh, I had the opportunity to have conversations with all of those stakeholders, and it was very powerful. And um, I think that that's kind of what led me to uh, to begin to share my story, which you have um, asked me to come on to the podcast to share today. So, um I think everything happens for a reason, and being named North Carolina Teacher of the Year gave me uh, a reason to to use my story to help others.
0: Well, great! Well, congratulations on that honor, and again, thank you for uh, spending time with me and Teacher Story listeners to to share your story. I, I just want to say, you and I were going to do this interview last week but uh we had to postpone it until now (laughs) not because of some covid related issue but because uh a uh a pretty um big hurricane was heading right for the island on which you live right
1: Yes, I live on Topsail Island um, in North Carolina, and uh, we had Hurricane Issa visit us, and so I I was without electricity when I was supposed to to be speaking with you, so I appreciate you um, changing our time to speak, and um, luckily our home is fine. Uh, We had minimal damage, um, as did our neighbors, and so we we were very fortunate we're very very thankful that we were spared
0: <laughs> yeah well i'm i'm glad you're okay and i uh i'm glad we have a chance to to do this now as it turned out um yeah. that wouldn't have been good timing without any power <laughs> because uh we're relying on the internet and uh, and and other things to allow us to do this today but um uh lisa i'd like you to 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 tell your story now and share your story with teacher story listeners and it does very much involve um, a teacher along the way, and that's uh-huh. why it was so interesting to me, and I'm so happy that you're willing to, to share it because I think it's a, it's a really important reminder of the impact that um, teachers can have on students' lives, even if they don't know it at the time. So with that, I'd I love for you to share your story.
1: Okay well I want to go back to um, my teacher of the year uh, time. Um, When I was named uh, there was an expectation for me to have a platform, uh, for me to have um, some talking points when I went to visit different schools and organizations and um, I I didn't know what my story uh should be and everybody would say what's your story what what are you going to to focus on and i knew in my heart what i needed to focus on but i wasn't quite ready i didn't think to share um you know something very personal but then i got to thinking about how our lives are kind of like a book, like a story, and we all have chapters that um, that we have that some are really great that we're willing to share, and then there are others where we're reluctant to let people in because we think maybe they're going to think differently about us, Are um, they're going to judge us in some way. And I guess that's how I had felt all of my life, and that's one of the reasons why I never really shared um, my experiences from my youth um, and my childhood with others. But I knew that in order to truly make a difference in the life of a child, that I needed to be brave and I needed to kind of put myself last and children first and and uh, and share my story with others. So... Um, I decided, you know, at my first function uh, that I went to speak at, to let them know that I had um, a childhood that you would think was perfect. I lived in a great uh, community, a farming community, uh, and uh, my dad was a minister in our um, in our community. So uh, I had a lot of of great. People around me, and lots of people who loved me, um, but I also had um, the privilege of being able to to go out into the community and ride my bike and and be out of the house a lot. Um, I'm I, you don't know how old I am. I'm going to go ahead and tell you. I, I was born in the late '60s, so. Um, Back then, it was a different world. We were able to just leave our house in the mornings and not come home, come home until dark, and play all day outside. And uh, so that that freedom uh, comes with a price, I think sometimes. And um, I was um, by the time I started school already a victim of sexual abuse, and Um, I don't know exactly when it started, uh, but my first memories uh, were when I was about four or five. And so it was probably before then, but that's my first memories. So when I started school, I was really excited because I felt like it was going to be an opportunity for me to escape and have a safe place um, to go and to not have to think about things that were happening to me um, in in another setting. So when I got to school and met my teacher, my very first teacher, and actually he was—it was it was first grade, we didn't have kindergarten back then, I found out that I had a male teacher and his name was Mr. Randolph. And uh, I was just devastated because even though Mr. Randolph was not my abuser, he embodied everything that I was fearful about. You know, he was male. He was, you know, uh, strong and, and powerful, and he held all of the, the cards. He was going to be in charge of me, and I, I didn't like that because I had already built up these walls to protect myself. And I felt like, oh, my goodness, now I'm going to be with this strange man (laughs) all day. What if he does to me what this other person is doing to me? So immediately, I acted out. I did not want to be there, and I made it very clear to him that I did not want to be there. Um, But I was very fortunate that Mr. Randolph was not the type of person to give up on a child, and he didn't take my reluctance to warm up to him or to uh, to be compliant with his, his directions or whatever. Um, he didn't view that as me being a difficult child. He viewed me as a child that just needed extra, extra patience, extra um, care, extra uh, attention. And he gave me that.
0: And at that time, um, there was no one else that knew anything about this. And so,
1: no, I had, yeah, I had not told my parents, my mom, my dad did not know. I had not told a single soul because this other individual had, you know, told me that I was not to tell. And now looking back as an adult, I know that I had been groomed. I guess that is the word now that is used. I was groomed and I they had the power. I didn't have the power. And so no one knew.
0: So you couldn't, when you were assigned to Mr. Randolph, you couldn't go to someone, your parents, and say, you know, um, I'm not comfortable having a man as a teacher, and you know why. Uh, No one Mm -hmm. understood uh, what you were going through, and and you did not feel free to share it at this point in your life.
1: I did not. Um, I, I think they viewed me acting out as just me not wanting to go to school or me not enjoying uh, school being uh, or being a difficult child but he did not view me that way but I think my parents did and they were like you need to get it together and I you know I was punished for you know being rude and for n- not doing like I should at, at school for the notes that came home you know um, saying that I, I didn't have a good day or whatever um, you know they did not understand that I was I, I was really, shouting for help, you know, in my own way. Um, And so as a teacher now, when I have kids that act like I did back then, I know that I need to dig deeper. I need to, um, to investigate more. I need to listen more. I need to pay attention more because it's not always what we think on the surface. There's so much more going on deep within them, and we just have to figure it out, you know?
0: So what was it that Mr. Randolph did um, and that ultimately made you realize that you could trust him?
1: Well, it was a series of things. It didn't come quickly. I mean, he took time with me. Um, it, he just slowly... Uh, found ways to connect. For instance, back then all of the teachers sat at the teacher table for lunch. But Mr. Randolph decided, nope, I'm going to sit with the kids. And he would always position himself usually at my table. Um, and he would engage me in conversation as he would the rest of my my classmates. And He shared with us his experiences and then got us to trust him enough to share our experiences. Um, And on the playground, he, again, did not hang out with the teachers. He was playing kickball with the kids. He was, you know, interacting with us. And so we were able to have those conversations that were relaxed And there was just something about him that made me realize that he was one of the good guys. He was not someone that I needed to fear. And I just slowly but surely um, began to let him in and uh, and I accepted him as a friend and a teacher.
0: And that probably took months, right? It wasn't- It did. Not, and not the first few weeks, but actually several months.
1: It did, and he didn't give up. And I think that that was another thing um, that, that really caused me to, to trust him. He never got frustrated with me, and he could have, and he didn't. I gave him lots of reasons too, but he never got frustrated with me. He never uh, gave up hope that I would, you know, become a, a more uh, engaged student. Uh, he just kept trying. And I realized, you know, he he really isn't going to give up on me. He really does care about me. And he doesn't lose his patience with me. And that meant a lot. And and so, again, as a teacher, um, I, I really tried to, to instill those things in my Uh, teaching. I want to be like Mr. Randolph, you know, and I follow his model uh, in in the way that I interact with children as well.
0: So, Lisa, what happened next after you had Mr. Randolph? And and I assume you were still being victimized by your abuser. Um, I was. What steps did you take later to finally (laughs) deal with this? Well,
1: I was also having some issues at home where I wasn't able to sleep. I was scared at night. Um, I would uh, make myself sick. I mean, i was I was physically making myself sick, I guess, from all the stress and and the the things that I was dealing with, and I was keeping inside and wasn't sharing. And so at our fr- first teacher conference, Mr. Randolph and my mother um, were talking about my issues. And um, Mr. Randolph suggested to my mother, why don't we let Lisa talk to our school counselor, Miss McFadden? And my mother agreed. And so I um, began to see a school counselor. So I'm very thankful that Mr. Randolph and my mother were able to to have that conversation and to agree that that was what was best for me uh, to to seek help that they couldn't give me at that particular time and so that is when another very important uh, educational stakeholder entered into my life and began to to change me
0: and what uh happened as a result of that relationship with miss McFadden
1: well, again, I did not disclose my abuse to mr. Randolph R to miss McFadden um, but through the conversations with miss McFadden, I think she realized maybe picked up on some some things that I was sharing that made her realize that I needed to find my voice. I needed to become independent enough to say uh, that I liked things or I did not like things. And so she began to work with me through role play and, uh, you know, through different games and, and things to help me learn to advocate for myself. And even through those those times with her, I still it still took me a good year to two years before I did finally find my voice, um, and I was in a room with my abuser, and my and actually another uh, adult, so. I disclosed to that other adult that this person had been abusing me. And I I was very, I didn't say abusing me because at that time I didn't know that verbiage. I just said, this person is doing this to me and this to me and it doesn't feel good and it scares me and I I know that it's wrong and I want it to stop. And you know, I think that I shocked. (laughs) The person, my abuser, because I had been silent for so many years. And then I just told my truth. And it was a shift in power that day because he knew that I was no longer going to be silent. And the abuse did stop. But the person that I disclosed to, it was not the person I really needed to tell because they weren't equipped to to take the information that I gave them. And so they chose not to believe me mm-hmm. and, yeah, and the abuser told the adult, you know, that I was making it up, that it wasn't true. And so the abuser again had that power in, in terms of he was the adult. I was not. And so he was believed and I was not. And, you know, I, I still felt some sense of shame and guilt because for whatever reason, this person didn't believe me. And what kind of person am I if if I'm not believed? But in the same sense, I was so proud that I shared because it stopped my abuse. Um, So there was a There was a a double-edged sword that day going on. I I got the abuse to stop, but yet then another form of trauma happened to me by not being believed.
0: And did anything happen to your abuser? I'm guessing that this other person that didn't believe you uh, obviously Mm -hmm. wasn't going to go report that. But um, did did authorities uh, ever find out about this and do anything to confront Mm -hmm. him?
1: no this, this is the thing we're talking about at this time we were in this, the early 70s mid 70s and it was very taboo back then you just didn't talk about abuse you didn't talk about it and so um and i think also i should say maybe families dealt with it quietly and did not go to the the authorities a lot but um this person that i disclosed to told me to never speak of it again, uh, to never speak of it again. And that, um, that I should not tell stories like that, that it could get people in trouble and it would get me in trouble if I'm telling stories, and um, that I just needed to, to, you know, to move on and to never talk about it again, never say those things again. And so I internalized that, and that's exactly what I did. I internalized it, I never said anything until, and I know you're gonna be like, what? Until I had my own children.
0: Well, that's, that was and many, many, and many had, years later, wasn't it?
1: Yes, yes. I, I, it was, you know, probably uh, 20 years later. I never talked about it again. And when I had my boys, it was like the floodgates opened. And I knew I had to protect them. I had to, to address it because I didn't want what happened to them to ha- to me happen to them. And um, so I shared it with my husband first, and then I talked to my pastor, and then I talked to my mom and my dad. And at that time, um, I I said, you know, I, I would like for you to go to this person, and I want you to ask them if they remember me saying what I said, that, I, you know, that he had done these things and, you know, confront him about it. And at that time, when my parents went to him, uh, he admitted it to them and said, I had hoped that she had forgotten. I'd hoped that she was so young that she would not remember it. And at that point, I was like, how in the world can someone think that a child would not remember that that abuse, you know, and so, you know, there was closure finally. And, you know, I I could have, I guess, you know, brought charges at that point. But, you know, I, I don't know if it would have been recognized because so many years had passed. But I was just happy with closure, and finally being believed. You know, that, that was the main thing to, to finally have someone say that and admit that they did it. And, you know, for me to have my truth.
0: And Lisa in all those um, intervening years when you didn't tell anyone, it was your own secret. Um, how did it affect your life? Cause I'm sure that you had memories of it or perhaps you tried not to, to have it come up. Uh, well, I,
1: I really blocked it out uh, a lot. Uh, I, I had to, but my relationships with, with males continued to suffer. I, I continued, even you know after the view stopped, to, to kind of arm myself you know and protect myself if I was in a room. Um, with, you know, a a gentleman, a man, uh, I would make sure that there was a buffer between us. I was very careful not to be by myself with a man. Um, And when I got to the dating age, uh, I I didn't really want to date in the beginning. And I had a lot of anxiety with that. And so, um, you know, it, it, it did kind of you know changed the way that I navigated relationships, unfortunately. Uh, but even in high school, and I say I, 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 I say that teachers again helped me, but they didn't know they were helping me. Uh, when I went to middle school and high school, I threw myself into activities. Um, if you were to look at my yearbook, you would think that you know I was on every page. And I was a very popular person, and you would be right to some extent. I was on every page of the yearbook, it but it was because I signed up for everything. I was in every club. I was, uh, I, I did sports. I did drama. I did everything. Newspaper, yearbook, because I wanted to be at school, because I didn't want to risk going back home and going to my community and something. Happening again, so in my mind, if I'm at school, that's my safe place. You know, I'm nobody can hurt me there, and I'm going to just make sure I'm there as many minutes of the day as I can be. So, I I say to high school teachers, you know, don't just assume that a person, a student that is in your school that is involved in all these things and you consider a popular person, that they don't have issues because they're probably the ones that have the most and maybe need you the most. And you need to kind of have ask them the question, why do you wanna be here all the time? You know, why do you would you rather be at school than in your, your community or in your home? because there's a reason you know and it's not always self-seeking for popularity it a lot of times it truly is a safety issue so we need to ask those questions of our children um, even when they're in middle and high school
0: it's just um, it's amazing although I guess not surprising to me that all those years later you were still making choices to deal with your fear and and this pain that Uh, The abuse had stopped many years ago, but you still lived with it. You're still still fearful and still, in some ways, trying to keep yourself busy and distracted and in a place that Mm -hmm. represented safety all those years later.
1: Mm -hmm. And that's why I, I, I think I went into education because I knew that there are kids just like me in every classroom and they too view their school their classroom as their safe place and they are looking at their teachers and the other educational stakeholders in that building to be their protectors and to be their sounding board and their advocate and they deserve that they deserve that and so I just find it to be such such a privilege to be that individual for a child. And I hope that other teachers feel that same way and maybe if they don't feel that way after listening to that po- this podcast they will. Um that's my hope.
0: So Lisa um, when we started this interview you I asked you about being teacher of the year and People said, "Well, what's your story?" And and you weren't really sure what it was, but I gather that mm-hmm. this was the story you decided to share. Um, what was it like for you to share it publicly for the first time?
1: It was it was very scary um, because, again, like I said in the beginning, you know, you, you worry that people are going to to view you in a different way. And they're going to maybe treat you differently, or, um, or think mm. that um, maybe you deserved it, or you did something to cause that person to, to you know, do those things to you. And and I, I was really scared to open myself up like that. Uh, and so, after the first time I shared it. I had several people coming up to me afterwards and saying, that happened to me too. Or, oh my goodness, I'm so glad that you shared. I've never told anybody my story either. Can I can I talk to you? And so I not only became an advocate for students in the classroom, that year I became an advocate and a sounding board for my colleagues. And that blew my mind. I mean, I was like, wow, how, how wonderful is that, that, that these people trusted me enough to share their stories and for me to be that first person that they told. I, I, cannot, I cannot even tell you what that meant to me. And so that inspired me to continue so the next time you know uh, it got a little easier to share because i knew somebody in that in that auditorium was going to 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 make a connection and it got to be kind of not a joke but it became a saying with me and my husband before i would leave to go to an event he would say Honey, even if it's just one person that you reach and you touch today, then it's worth it. And so it become kind of a a thing. Before I'd walk out the door, he would say, just one, just one. And so that is the way I approached it as I told my story, if I just helped one person, one child, one one teacher, one principal, that's all that mattered to me. Lisa,
0: If there's someone out there listening to this podcast episode, and they too uh, have been or are a victim of abuse, what would your advice be to them right now? And, and if perhaps they haven't told anyone, or they've told someone and they didn't believe them, like, um, yeah. you know, uh, similar to what you experienced when you first uh, told someone.
1: Yeah. I want them to know, first and foremost, it was not your fault. Let that go. It's not your fault. And you need to let go of the shame. If you are feeling shame from it, let it go. Because you, you are better than that you didn't ask for that and you you are are rising above it and you just need to realize that you are special you are unique and your story even though has some trauma and pain you are a survivor now if you've never shared it with anybody if you were like me and you had it all tucked in releasing it is going to be the healthiest thing that you can do, but you need to make sure that you choose someone that you trust. Someone that will listen and will just give you love and will understanding and will help guide you through that healing process. That could be your spouse. It could be your best friend. It could be your clergy, your your preacher, your priest. You need to find someone that you truly trust, and then you need to let it out. And Once you let it out, then you can at least start healing, the healing process. And something that has helped me is journaling, you know, um, just writing down my my thoughts and my feelings and just continually reflecting and doing self-care. So those would would be my my main, uh, you know, talking points to anyone that is having these issues in their life. Um, Just meet it head on because you are a survivor and you can turn this pain into purpose, pain to purpose. That is what you're working towards.
0: Well, thank you for sharing that. I I have to believe it's going to be very wise um, advice for, for people out there who have experience something like what you've experienced. Lisa, I remember, I think when we spoke last, um, you mentioned that one of the presentations you did, someone came up to you and you thought it might mm-hmm. be another person who wanted to share a similar story with you, but it, actually, she had something different to say to you. But <laughs> Share that part of your story. She
1: did. Well, Everything comes full circle. I I have begun to realize that. Um, I was speaking at an event in uh, Pittsburgh, which is, uh, you know, Chatham County, North Carolina. And uh, I was speaking to a group of beginning teachers and mentors. And I told my story, and uh, a lady came up to me. And again, I thought it was someone that was just wanting to share. She had made a connection. But I could tell by the look on her face, it was it was different. And her body language was different. And she said, you don't know me, but I cannot wait to go home and tell my dad about your story. And I said, really? Uh, why? Why? Why would you want to tell your dad? She said, "My dad is Mr. Randolph." I about fell out. <laughs> I was like, "I could not believe it." I said, "You are kidding me." She said, "No. My dad is Mr. Randolph and I am a teacher myself because of him." And you know, it is just going to thrill his soul to know that he made such an impact on you. She said, he wonders all the time. He'll say, I wonder if I really made a difference. And she says, I get to go home today and I get to tell him, Dad, you made a difference. Oh, boy, did you make a difference. And so I, I was just so excited and I was able to exchange information with her and that led to mr randolph and i being reunited um he's 87 years old now and uh, i was able to uh to thank him personally and we were able to to reconnect and and have some conversation. And that inspired me to also reach out and try to find Miss McFadden. And so I was able to do that as well and um, was able to thank her and let her know what a difference she made in my life. So, you know, both of them commented on how it was such, you know, a pleasure to find out years later, what an impact they made. So um, I was so glad I had that opportunity.
0: (laughs) Well, uh, Lisa, uh, I just want to thank you for for having the courage to share your personal and painful story with our listeners and for doing it with so many other educators in North Carolina. And, um, and and hopefully this audience will be uh, even broader than than that, and uh, many other people will hear it and, uh, and benefit from your story. It's it, To me, it's such a, a poignant reminder that as educators and as any professional that works with children, we have to be so vigilant about the trauma our students may be experiencing and perhaps not talking about. Uh, the really important part of the story about Mr. Randolph and your guidance counselor, Ms. McFadden, is that the unconditional care and support they provided to you made a profound difference. It was life changing. You were able to get through yes. that terrible period of your life and you mustered the strength to get your abuser to stop harming you. In both cases, these, these educators didn't know for sure what you were going through and only learned many years later about the influence they had on your life. And I'm sure today, Lisa, you're having uh, a, an important impact on your kindergartners. You're certainly having an important impact on your on your colleagues. Um, and uh, as as a former educator myself, I'm just proud to be associated with with people like you who have the courage to uh, to to tell your story. And I appreciate you telling it with our. Uh, Teacher Story listeners. Thank you. Um, This concludes another episode of Teacher Stories. Uh, Thanks for listening. If you have a story of your own you want to share, you can go to teacherstories.org and tell us about it. You can also go to teacherstories.org and submit a written appreciation about a teacher that made a difference in your life. And uh, if you happen to know the email address of that teacher, we will forward your appreciation on to them so they have a chance to see it um, the way the rest of the world will have a chance to see it. So that's it for this episode. Thanks everyone for listening. Take care.